welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. Good day, everyone. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast in these strange COVID-19 uh, invested times. Um, it's all a bit strange. I hope everyone's well. I hope they're keeping safe. I hope they're isolating. And uh, I hope you're enjoying what uh, chance you have to have a listen to podcasts like ours. And uh, we're going to continue going right throughout this. That's the plan anyway, although we have changed things up a little bit today because I am in the home studio this time and uh, running the buttons and the panels and all that stuff back in the studios of Southern FM is my footyology co-host, Mark Fine. Very good morning to you, Finey. G'day, Roko. You well, son? Now, I'm, I'm, I, and I ask well. that. I ask that seriously because the reason we've changed to me being in the studio and you being remote, as we touched on last week, is your pre-existing medical condition, and your doctor has put the fear of God into you. Yes, well, a few things have put the fear of God into me. I can tell you, I um, certainly feel like I'm the full bottle on all the info there is to know on this horrible thing. But, um, yep, look, I'm, I am in a uh, high-risk category. And so uh, taking all potential precautions. But uh, they are strange days. Uh, they're difficult. They're challenging. But, um, you know, a little bit of good news in terms of the numbers of people or the rate of infection in this country. And... Um, you know, uh, we don't want to get too complacent, certainly, but it looks like uh, the isolation gambit is actually beginning to bear harvest. So hopefully we can um, stop all this before it becomes a, an entrenched way of life. How are you faring? I'm going well. Living at close quarters with the rest of the family has its challenges, but it also has its inherent beauty. I've, I've got to say that, that... We're very, my wife and I were sort of saying, you know what, we've got four children, two of them 18 and 22. They just wouldn't be home much, really, as their lives take them to work and with boyfriends, girlfriends, etc. So we're sort of cherishing the fact that the family is together. We're eating meals together. Yeah, we're getting, stepping on each other's toes a little bit, but we are also reveling in this rare time that will never be recreated that has been not artificially recreated of course it's been recreated or created by COVID-19 which is not ideal but the fact that the families all together should be for people in that position should be cherished a little bit. Well yeah it's certainly created a way of life I, I, uh, that feels in some ways like a step back in time and there are good points to that as you say and um, some interesting points which uh, are we all are we all living like a little house on the prairie now that's how we feel you know occasionally uh, going down to the store to get some a sack of sugar but otherwise pretty much on the on the house on the prairie i'm not uh, uh i'm not getting around in that period costume and i i haven't uh i've always wanted to knock on the neighbor's door for a cup of sugar like the old american sitcoms haven't done that yet but um yeah <laughs> interesting times i tell you what uh, can't be recreated, Finey, and uh, what is a step back in time, metaphorically speaking, uh, of course, in practical terms, 
these little babies are as fresh as something that's very fresh. But I am talking about Andrew's Hamburgers, and I'd like you to tell our loyal listeners all about them. Brilliant. 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. Being a takeaway, you can go there and get that magnificent burger. And that magnificent burger, now in its 81st, 81st year of creation, is renowned Australia-wide. And who wouldn't, who wouldn't love just the, the bite of a great hamburger any time? But I think even more so, and I know that we're doing most of our cooking at home, so any food from outside is a bit of a treat. You have to pick judiciously. I, we all know that there's a huge financial impact on most Australians. So the value is there. The quality is there. Pick judiciously at 144 Bridport Street, Andrew Park, uh, at Albert Park, Andrew's Hamburgers. The best of the best is still available. I did speak to Greg from uh, Andrew's Hamburgers uh, a few days ago, and they are still going strong doing takeaway service. So uh, don't fear, they never close. Well, then they haven't closed yet, and they are still going strong. So get down there, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. I'll tell you what, Finey, I don't know if you can get uh, uh, Walton's style or Little House on the Prairie style renovations, but if you could, I know one man who'd be able to do the job for you, and that's Nick Spartels. Well, of course, building uh, within the confines of the rules laid down for social distancing continues. So construction does continue in Melbourne, uh, which means that West Point Properties with Nick Spartels continues to build brilliant housing for inner suburban Melbourne individuals and families who've got properties that need renovation or houses that need to be built. And I'll tell you what, I've seen a bit of a, a look into Scott Pendlebury's house because, of course, we're getting quite a few um, sort of Skypes into footballers' homes. So you can have a look around at Nick Bartel's build next time Scott's online. Uh, and I've seen a few shots myself and very, very impressive stuff. So... Keep that one in mind as well uh, when you are looking for your next or uh, remodelled home. All right, we've got a lot to get through today, Finey. No football, of course, but still plenty of football news. And I think we'll discuss that right now. On Footyology, Newsfeed. All right, well, uh, no games, of course. We've, uh, we're starting to get used to that. Last weekend would have been... Round three, it's going to be interesting trying to sort of keep tabs on where we should be in the season. I'm starting to lose a bit of sense of time. I think a few people are. Um, But plenty of news around uh, regarding what sort of circumstances this season hopefully will be played in. And um, some important news to that end. Yesterday when uh, Steve Hocking at the AFL uh, did a series of interviews with leading media people and uh, sort of announced the type of framework we might see. So in a nutshell, they're uh, still very confident of getting the 17 rounds away. Uh, Interestingly, we're not sort of referring to it as 17 rounds. It's more 144 games remaining. They keep wheeling out that figure. And I guess that's to emphasise that it may not be 17 completely separate sets of matches, as we've talked about. Um, 
there may be <clears throat> a dozen games played in one week. There may be half a dozen played the next week. It's that 144 figure that seems to be the key. Um, but uh, it was interesting. They've, they've talked about things like uh, potentially extra interchange players. Um, that they, they did discuss the idea of the substitute returning, though it appears they've um, knocked back that possibility. They haven't even discussed the what the final series may look like, uh, whether it'll be as we've become used to or different or fewer teams. I guess, you know, in these weird times, it's just one step at a time. What is interesting, though, I did a bit of a... Um, Uh, a numbers count myself last week. And by my reckoning, anyway, they have 29 weeks um, from the start of June through till the weekend before Christmas to complete a season. So after doing the math, I mean, we've got 17 rounds plus finals, let's say four weeks of finals as per usual, that'll make 21 rounds or weeks. Um, there's a bit of room there to play with. So I don't think anyone wants the season running into December fighting, but um, there is a little bit of time still before we start panicking. Um, you know, they, they, it's hard to sort of know how it's going to look like. It's, it's, it's just bizarre, really. They've even... Uh, one thing they said when they officially pulled the pin on the season was rounds two to four would remain exactly the same as they've been fixtured. Um, they're even, they're not even guaranteeing that now. So, uh, and the, I guess the other main point out of it is that teams are going to be allowed a three week preseason, um, very possibly four, but no practice games. So from whenever the AFL signals that it may be okay to start, we've got three weekends to get in shape before we um, hit unpause on the uh, the season that barely got underway. So what do you make of all that? Interesting. So it's a 17-week season. We've already had one week. So that's yep. one played. The grounds at which it'll be played, I think the AFL's under no illusions that if they are to get this season underway in a manner that allows it to be finished, and is the is sort of the general understanding that if the season can't be finished in twenty twenty, then it won't be played. Is that the feel? Uh, well, it's my feel. I, I don't think that's been answered definitively, but um, I mean, there there's certainly going to be issues the later it finishes the more the practical issues for the 2021 season. You know, i.e., if we end up having a grand final in December, can we really expect the following season to start at the end of March? Um, you'd, I, I think Steve Hawking sort of indicated they, they do want everything to proceed as per normal as much as it can, so that may just lead to a shortened pre-season. But clearly, they want to get it away as early as possible. Um, and hence, you know, they really need to sort of flag the intent at least three weeks out from when we start to resume. In terms of the venues, um, you know, they've certainly... Uh, because is there, an the under, is there an understanding that for that to happen, we are going to have more games with no crowds? 
yes, I, I, I think he basically said that they are, I think they are working on the presumption that there won't be crowds. Yep. Okay. Um, so that's an important point. And, until a lot, lot later in the piece. So, and that, I mean, the there's no beauty of that. It's terrible. But the one positive of that is it does bring some of those suburban venues like Icon Park, for example, into play because the other complication here, of course, is the availability of the traditional grounds once we hit October and there's the not inconsiderable event of the... Um, uh, Cricket World Cup already booked in at the MCG in October. So, um, yeah, look, there's again, I'd hate to be in their shoes at the moment. They must be working around the clock. But, you know, what I heard from Steve Hocking yesterday all pretty much made sense. That's the thing, though. I, I just think, um, you know, don't remember, if you can, we've already had the shorter quarters. You know, we've had interchange rotations down to 90. That all happened in round one. Um, you know, even us traditionalists who bristle at the even thought of even minor change to the structures of the game, we, we just can't really afford to do that if we want a season at all. And that's a shift I know I'm sort of struggling with making, but there's just no alternative, is there? Well, I put this to you. If the grand final is played at... Icon Park in front of no people on a 38-degree late December day with 15-minute quarters and six players on the interchange, is it really worth it? Have there, there, there has to come a point where the compromises being made are just so obviously being put in place to honour some sort of broadcasting contract and keep that money coming in the game, where the game is overly compromised. You know, it's the old philosophical question. If you cut a tree down in the forest, nobody's there, does it make a sound? Is a grand final a grand final if nobody's there? Really good point. And, um, I, you know, I guess we won't know until it happens. I'll, um, I'll tell you this. I, 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 it's a long shot. A huge long shot, an impossibility maybe. But I would be devastated if St Kilda broke their drought in front of no fans. What's the use? I haven't waited all this time for St Kilda to win that elusive premiership after 55 years, 54 years, and not be there and no one's there. I'd rather it didn't happen, honestly. Yeah, look, I mean, that that is the single biggest philosophical question we need to ask. I mean, I guess I'll just play devil's advocate, though. If the difference was, um, yeah, okay, you you keep the integrity, but we endanger the entire competition because the broadcast money isn't coming in, um, would you take it? And I think I would. I guess that's... it. Look, this sort of Damocles that has been... Uh, swinging over clubs' heads, I think is being swung by media, uh, in, individuals in the media that are looking for stories. Gil McLaughlin came out and said quite categorically, when the competition start, ended, there were 18 teams, and when it restarts, there's going to be 18 teams. Now, again, if people want to play the oh, club survival depends on dot, 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 then they're just filling their boots with 
their own agenda and their own need to be heard or listened to during these non-footballing times. Yeah, well, uh, that is something I intend to touch on later. I actually wrote a a column about this during the week for Australian community media, and this is one of the prices we pay for football being such an industry these days. There are various tentacles to it, one of which is the media. And, yeah, it's like as time goes on with this situation, some things are going to become clear. I think one thing that became clear to me during the week is that the football media is uh, quite potentially going to be an enormous pain in the ass. Yeah, well, I just want to remind those people in the football media and beyond who want to run that agenda, you ain't Damocles and your pen ain't a sword. So stop dangling it. Other news? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I will I will touch on that again. Um, look, just some other by-the-bys. Well, one by-the-by. It seems almost inconsequential now, but they have officially um, postponed the International Rules Series between <laughs> Australia and Ireland, which was uh, due to recommence at the end of this season. Um, the umpires have uh, agreed to the same pay arrangement as the players, and that is... Uh, if we resume at the start of June, there will be a 50% pay cut. And if it's later than that, it will be a 70% pay cut, which I think you can lock yourself in for that because there is no way we're going to be starting at the start of June. Look, the other big question, and, and again, this touches also to a point on the media stuff we just mentioned, but I guess the one... Um, story that's going to continue to bubble away for now and probably of far more importance to the uh, supporter and membership base than some of the stories the media was going on about is that issue about membership refunds. Um, there was a very, look, there was one really positive story yesterday and it was about an Essendon supporter, a young lady who found, you know, her and her husband and their kids, they, they'd done all their budget cuts and et cetera, and she simply couldn't afford to sustain her membership. She emailed the club and uh, got a response back from them that uh, Michael Hurley had offered to um, uh, step in and, and pay her membership fee. Um, consequences of that could be interesting. I think <laughs> there's... Got to be a few people sort of uh, telling similar stories at other clubs, I'd imagine. But, you know, it's good seeing gestures like that, I think, and sort of restoring or strengthening the bond, I guess, between club and supporter. But, of course, there was that interesting exchange, too, between Tony Jones and Eddie Maguire on the news where Eddie certainly stopped short of guaranteeing um, that, that people who are invested in memberships can get some sort of refund. This is a pretty important issue because it really goes to that, um, you know, tie between club and supporter. And if, if that sort of um, bond of trust is broken, uh, it's going to be pretty hard to get it back. Look, I think it's fairly, this one's fairly easy to interpret or to play out or to advise upon, I should say. Every football fan has been encouraged, if they can afford it, to not withdraw their membership. But if, a, if an individual or a family says, we need the refund, then they have to be refunded. End of story. It's, there's no question of this. It, it simply is, it 
beholden on every club to return the money because that their members can't afford to pay the membership and certainly not if there's no football. End story. I, I would actually, you've just reminded me of something and I, I completely don't know the answer to this. Mia Culpa here. Did Michael Hurley get rubbed out after round one? <laughs> I, I can't. I can't even remember what he allegedly did. What was, oh, was it? that? That um, first gamer for Fremantle it took that mark, and he came in late and clocked him. Gave oh, away the yeah, fifteen meter penalty. Right. Gee, you're right. Uh, yeah, he got. Um, I think he got a fine, which was pretty lucky on his part. I would have thought. Yeah, I think. Geez, maybe they took there it. There you go. Too. These, they took it to a These are strange times. Yeah. They are strange times, aren't they? I'd completely forgotten about that. The, I guess maybe was taken into account the fact you're going to be having months and months off anyhow in a sense of um, detente. We'll let you come back and play when everybody else does. I've got a feeling. <laughs> I, don't if, I, I don't know. I've got a feeling if we were playing next week, he might have got a week. Well, I've just looked it up fine. It was actually so long ago that he was fined 25 shillings. <laughs> Very good. I'll I'll pay that. And uh, I don't even have a witty comeback. That's just too funny. Well done. <laughs> All right. Uh, there's the news for this week. Uh, obviously, we're going to be talking about this sort of stuff a lot, but it's pretty important. And there's certainly no games to talk about. So uh, we'll continue to do that. But... Uh, and we're going to sort of, I guess, blur the lines here a little bit because we have touched on some of this stuff, but there's more to be made of it. Let's uh, sit back and finally have some life hacks. Life hacks, building a better world. All right. Uh, well, again, you know, there's only sort of one subject on everyone's uh, minds and lips these days, but there are variations about that, I guess, and, and different directions that can go. Um, I'm going to kick us off this week, Finey, by expressing my distaste, as I have on Twitter quite frequently, and so have a lot of people, about certain um, sectors and commentators within our society who have suddenly become medical experts, and they're getting a bit annoyed with the isolation measures and they're getting a bit annoyed with the government for shutting down the economy and they are telling us that it's all rubbish and uh, we really must get back to work sooner than later and uh, one of them surprise surprise is Andrew Bolt who after uh, having been an expert on climate change and stolen generations is now self-appointed chief medical officer and continues to write day after day that it's all overkill, and uh, but you know we've only lost thirty odd people dead, and you know there's only however many thousand people infected, and uh, you know it, it's and it's all about the economy. Uh, hard as it is to believe, the bar on or the bar was lowered even further on that sort of uh, theme by the Institute of Public Affairs, who are rapidly becoming the most hated body in the country. Understandably, when you see the sort of crap they put out on video, and they put out one over the weekend, and uh, what's his name? Gideon Rosner, getting around in a very snappy-looking suit. Uh, I think it was Sydney, the streets of Sydney he was standing in. 
but it was this little self-serving video about how um, the government is destroying this country by destroying the economy and we need to get back to the dignity of work um, because the country will die without a healthy economy. Never mind that, you know, we could have a healthy economy and no one left to uh, thrive in it because they're all dead or sick. Um, anyway, the, <laughs> there's a thing on Twitter, Finey, which you may become familiar with if you continue to use Twitter, which is called a ratio. And that is uh, when you get ratioed, basically it means people aren't a big fan of what you had to say. And uh, that video from the IPA account, uh, it's when the uh, number of likes on your tweet is completely dwarfed by the numbers of replies. And uh, the likes on this one were 200 and something, and the replies were about 1.5 thousand last time I looked. Because isn't one of the lessons out of this whole thing, surely, that we have to put the safety and health of the populace first before anything? The I couldn't agree more. The government, whether it's Scott Morrison federally or the various state governments, we, of course, here with the Daniel Andrews-led Labor government, if when all is said and done, when everything's over, if people turn around to the federal government and to state governments and say, you know what, you overreacted, there were not that many deaths, and look at the state of the economy, then they can comfortably turn around and say, well, then we did our job. Because the only way to keep the numbers down is to react savagely, which, in the end, bar a few holes in the net, I think Australia has been on the front foot in doing this. And you know what? We're in stage three of restrictions at the moment. I, I almost look at this like attending to a garden, because I've been doing some gardening. Attending to a gardening and, you know, picking out all the weeds. And I've picked out all the weeds, but now I've gone and bought some weed killer. In other words, I'm going to make sure those weeds don't come back. And I would not be averse to going from stage three, even though the numbers have plateaued and we've flattened the curve, I would not be averse to going into full lockdown for a month to really kill this bloody thing off. So for idiots out there to be suggesting that the first sign of the flattening of the curve or the fact that our numbers aren't horrific like some other countries is cause for abandoning stage three restrictions, well, thank God that these people are fringe lunatics and not in positions of power where their word becomes decree and law because they are idiots. Yeah, no, well said. Uh, you know, I think, uh, if nothing else, I think one thing that is becoming or a situation like this makes clear is who actually gives a toss about people other than themselves and who can only look at themselves and their uh, their wallets. Um, and it's a pretty basic way of putting it, but I think that's what it comes down to in the end. And people could say, um, people could say, Rowan, oh, Rowan, this is you again speaking from your political, known political vantage point to the left of centre. But it's actually, to me, Rowan speaking from his medical vantage point, which is that he is in a high risk group, and anybody, whether it's the aged or people in high-risk group, and you only need to look at cases around the world to know that it's actually all of us are in a risk of catching COVID-19 and possibly a fatal dose of it because they're not quite sure 
why people who are not in non-high-risk groups are dying. And there's two theories. One is that they're genetically predisposed to not handling COVID-19. But the other thing is virus load. In other words, when you contract the virus, you can get a little bit of it or a lot of it, depending on how you contract it. So we're all vulnerable. But Rowan, given that you're more so, I think this is less political and more, not fear-driven, but health, you know, health consciousness-driven. Uh, well, I, I hadn't even actually thought of that, to be honest. I mean, I, I, I don't sort of feel... Yeah, it's, it's, there's the sort of conscious way of feeling about it and, and what you know intellectually is, is probably right. And I must admit, I, I don't feel like someone who is in a high-risk category because I feel absolutely normal. But it's true. I know if you're wondering what the hell am I talking about, I have um, what's called cardiomyopathy. So there's uh, one of the chambers of my heart is enlarged and uh, the blood doesn't flow evenly. And uh, it means when there's any sort of issue involving the heart or the lungs um, that I need to be extra careful. Anyway, um, all right, you're up. What's your first? Okay, my first hack is my growing, in, not impatience, my growing disdain for videos or Skypes or however they appear on TV, YouTube, downloads, whatever it is, of individuals, normally celebrities, but not solely celebrities, performing exercise routines in their homes. This, this prison cell workout mentality is it's completely r- ridiculous. Do people know we're allowed outside? We can go for a run. You know, there's footage of a guy in Sydney doing shuttle runs on his balcony. Now, unless you're in isolation, 14-day isolation for medical reasons as prescribed by the government, in other words, you've got COVID-19 or you're come back from overseas... Uh, why would you be doing shuttle runs on your balcony? I mean, it's just completely ridiculous. And at the other end of the scale is Chris Hemsworth uh, posting his workout. Well, you know what? I don't need to run on my balcony, but Chris, I don't have a full-size basketball court in my house with a basketball ring and gym equipment that I can work out in. So I don't really need to see yours. Does his um, workout routine involve disposing of a few futuristic villains or it involves more power to him the trappings of a a very successful acting career i don't know how it's relevant to the rest of us there have been some funny ones the one that one really made me laugh there was a cricketer uh, i think it was from england a cricketer you know clad in whites and with um pads on bat helmet and uh you see them inside playing a a delivery sort of for a drive and then immediately jumping on the treadmill next to them and running a quick single on the <laughs> treadmill. Um, yeah, no, there's been, there's been some pretty inventive stuff going on. Now, look, I I do agree with you. Uh, I will be touching on that too a bit later. I've covered all bases today. But, um, yeah, it's interesting. I think the celebrity sort of video stuff has has uh, backed off a bit. There was one, when it started, there was one particularly nauseating video of a whole lot of singers and pop stars and whatever doing a group version of Imagine by John Lennon. 
And uh, when everyone sort of uh, gagged, I think they got the message. We had um, Madonna in a, a milk-filled bath strewn with rose petals, just garbling absolute nonsense. Oh, um, no, but there has been some decent video work, I've got to say. If there's one All song right. that if there's one song that should be being played now, we should be reprising Vera Lynn from the Second World War. Because he, I don't know if you heard the Queen spoke overnight. Oh, no, I didn't. It was very eloquent. You know, she's obviously, you know, not young, and but she spoke of, there will be a time when we see our friends again, when we see our family again. And the last thing she said was, yes, there will be a time when we will all meet again. And I was thinking, that now now they should start playing Vera Lynn. We'll yeah, meet okay. again. Yeah, we'll meet again. I yeah. mean, well, perfect. I'd... I'd I'd much prefer to hear that than um, It's the End of the World as We Know It by R.E.M. <laughs> uh, put it that way. Um, uh, by or, by I, the way, we're at Southern FM, and the previous program that was on as I was coming in, I was listening to Southern FM, um, was, uh, I can't remember, the, they're a duo anyhow, and they're playing songs quite fittingly uh, to do with touching because of the social distancing. But I don't know whether the last song they played actually relates to social distancing. It was Chrissy Amphlett, oh. I Touch Myself. <laughs> yeah. Which I think, I think you're still allowed to do. Yeah, yeah, well. Uh, yeah, <laughs> if, no, you wa- if you wash your hands. <laughs> that's, uh, that's stage five restrictions when they ban that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is okay. Who's, who's, it is, pol- who's policing that one? Not me. It is okay to do that, but just remember you will go blind. Um, or as Russell Gilbert said to when when he used to say about that, that he was caught doing that by his mum when he was a kid, and his mum said, "If you keep doing that, you'll go blind." And he said, oh, "Can't I at least do it till I need glasses?" <laughs> oh, that's very good. <laughs> oh, pardon me, you're going to kill me now. Um, my second one is uh, about the footy media. And I did write a column about this, but, oh, geez, you know, the how much contrived um, antagonism are we going to have to put up with? And it's one thing to sort of, you know, beat up stories about relocations and, of course, um, the ubiquitous Caroline Wilson bobbed up again with the uh, my sources telling me they want North Melbourne to go to Tassie routine. Um, which got slapped down pretty effectively and pretty quickly. Who's her source? Uh, we had... Who, who's, who's her source? Her ego, having been incorrect oh. about that all those years ago? Well, I think that was a, a line being pushed that it was about, which she denied, of course. i tell you what, actually, I don't, I don't want to labour the point about this because it, it has gone now, but her reaction to the reaction was to say that uh, it was the usual bullies. And... Um, you know, like, come on, Caro, seriously, you play a tough game, you dish it out, you've got to be able to take it. And, you know, it wasn't about bullying. It certainly wasn't a gender issue because no criticism of what she had to say uh, featured her gender at all. Um, so, you know, like, yeah, we'll let that one go. The Tony Jones... Eddie Maguire stoush on the news. Did you see that interview? Yeah, that quickly? seemed. Yeah, I saw that. That seemed fairly impromptu to me. I thought that was not contrived. Um, yeah, I, th- I think they well, both. I think what 
what they both know how to do is run with something that's good TV. I think yeah, I think its and, genesis and was honest, but thereafter they both played it play play on with intent because they know what good TV is. Yeah, and of course the interview with Eddie was done on the set of Footy Classified, which he happened to be hosting a few hours after the news, and it enabled them to promo it in the lead up. And um, yeah, and and this idea that uh, of the other third element to this sort of theme, I suppose, is, and this only emerged, I think, in the last couple of days, but Kane Corns uh, claiming that he has been um, serial, serially harassed on text by a current player who is giving it to him and he's threatened to name and shame the player if he doesn't stop it. So that one's been reported as a legitimate footy story as well. And... Um, you know, I, I think the I think the public is pretty good at smelling a rat. You know, and if we have to sort of go to those lengths to contrive football content, i.e., the media talking about itself endlessly, um, well, you know, I think a lot of people are simply going to switch off, including us fellow members of the football media, because it it is horribly self indulgent. And you know, let's celebrate what's good about the game. Let's celebrate the past as we have been. You know, we don't have to come up with this faux controversy all the time. God, it's irritating. All right. My number two is a bit of a lead on from that. And that is how desperate can the sports report at the end of the news be to have done what they did last night? I understand. I understand there's no live sport bar for racing and fair enough. Oh, by the way, People can say bullshit, but so I'm watching the races on Saturday afternoon with my family who couldn't care less, and the Doncaster's about to start, and I say to my missus, Natoya will win this. She says, what are you talking about? I said, there's a horse race on, and I love Wendy Roach as a trainer, and this horse, Natoya, who I know quite well, is, just has the ability to rattle home, and I said, it'll be back early. I said, I think it can win. Anyhow. She keeps doing her thing. Natoya storms home and wins. And I said, I told you Natoya would win. And then her ears prick up and she paid $45 for a win. Not bad. I, I, I don't have a TAB account. I didn't back it. There's no TABs open. If there was, I would have won some money. Anywho, so they cover a bit of football. They do that by going to various players' houses and asking Paddy Dangerfield his opinion on things for the 50th time. Steve actually his did birthday. Some, yeah, I'm saying Steve did birthday. quite well because he he asked him about his birthday. That was you know good research. Well done, Mark Stevens. Thumbs up. Do you know what the th- next story on the news was? And they covered it like a sports no. story. WWE SmackDown took <laughs> took place in America. No crowd. And let me tell you, without a crowd, it looks even more fake. They covered it as a sports story. Oh, really? Goldberg, 53-year-old Goldberg, had his international universal crown taken off him by some other person, I don't know. But they covered it like it was a sports story. Now, if that's the case, then I want people to be covering things like... Like, I, I don't... My kids don't do it, but surely there's a game of corridor cricket or Nerf football being played somewhere they can cover 
Well, maybe, maybe it was. Uh, did you say it was on Channel Nine? You were watching that report. Well, with Mark Stevens, that's seven, isn't it? Oh no, that's seven, isn't it? Yeah, I was going to say if it was nine, maybe they were cognizant of the fact they used to do the World Championship wrestling. Yeah. No, and, no, uh, this was this was covered as as real ish. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, th- there you go. It could be the definitive proof we are struggling for content. That's what I mean. Um, this could be the definitive proof that I'm struggling for content, Finey, because my third one uh, is about a substance which I love dearly, but I know is causing me pain or will if I continue to indulge it, which I've got to say I haven't been much at all. I, I, don't, I, don't, I, do, really, I don't think you should talk about your meth habit on, on the podcast, mate. No, no. No, I'm, <laughs> uh, that's, uh, that's on the back burner for now. Uh, no, that, that substance is the one known as chocolate. And uh, I love my chocolate and it's a big trap for me. And whenever I um, have some, I can't just have a bit. I've got to have a lot. So what happened? I did have to go and replenish supplies the other night. I went and picked up a, um, a few litres of milk. And, of course, they strategically placed these stands of chocolate right near the register. And there it was, all that purpleness, which means only one thing. Cadbury. doesn't mean prints. Uh, and uh, there it was, and there's a newish uh, flavour out, Caramilk, which is... Um, is that Caroline Wilson's favourite? Yeah. yeah. No, that's milk. sour milk. <gasps> that's sour milk. <laughs> um, no, <laughs> sorry. Now Cara. it's sour grape flavour. Uh, <laughs> it's a combination of the that sort of white chocolate and um, and caramel, and it's sweet. It is sickly sweet, but it is also incredibly nourish. And I thought, oh, I'll just sample bit. So of course I bought the only block there was a you know it wasn't a super block, but it was one step down. And I got home and I thought I'll just have a little nibble on it. Gee, that's not bad. Whew, I'll have another row. Uh, you know, I'll just have one last one now. Within 30 minutes, the entire block had vanished. I'm feeling crook as a dog and I'm just going, oh, what have I done? It is so addictive and I've just <laughs> got to stay away from it. Uh, you should come. You see, my mother is, she's got a ground floor flat, but she really is in isolation because she's not young. She's a Chinaman's favourite street address. Do you know what that is? No, but I'm not sure I want to hear it. What no, is that's it? her age, Chinaman's favourite street address. Well, they're lucky numbers eight, so they love being either 88 or... Oh, is it eight, is it? Yeah, yeah. okay. Anyway, yeah. My mum's 88, so... But she's got a ground floor flat with a nice veranda, nice balcony, I should say. So we sort of... The kids, the grandkids, etc., um, stand out in the forecourt or the, the front garden of the block of flats and just, you know, we have a normal conversation with her without going inside. But my mm. mum loves chocolate like you do and always has a bowl full of those Lind- Lindor balls. Oh, yes. It's a yes. picture she can't throw because she's, a- she's actually passed the bowl to me to give to my kids. But if she had a good arm on her, we could do some fielding practice. Oh, they are Oh, like you shouldn't which, have said that. Which no, ones they, do you like? Because uh, I don't oh, like the white balls. They're too sweet. I like the balls no, with I, a little bit of nuts in it. 
and we've done the chocolate salty balls game. Yeah, no, no, I, I wasn't being. I was actually just thinking of those. Yeah, no, no, because I, you know, Lint, like Lint made these pistachio balls now that you can get at the supermarket. Oh, they're magnificent. I like them all. Uh, I think the plain milk ones are probably my favourite, but the Lint ones, are, it's just absolute melt in your mouth. Yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, no, keep keep them away. All right, what's your last, last one? one? Okay. Again, I'm sort of doing the post-mortem crow here like I did with Natoya. And actually, the post-mortem crow is the basis of my rant, so it's sort of fitting. But now, if you get... there's, Do you know what the, the peak show... Because people are really looking to what they can watch on TV and a lot of people have Netflix. Have you yeah. seen what the number one Netflix watch has been during this lockdown period yeah it's that tiger thing yeah now i found that myself what's it called again tiger king yeah right. because this guy i had seen this guy about three or four years ago on a louis theroux um louis theroux went through america and one of his things was dangerous pets and he featured this guy joe exotic who has what's known as a roadside zoo in his look on dangerous pets. So this man was not alien to me. But what happened next is unbelievable. And when I say unbelievable, I mean unbelievable. You've just got to watch it. There's three parties involved. Joe Exotic, Doc somebody, he's he's got his own zoo, and then a woman who has a rescue centre for animals, tigers, but really it's another one of these self-aggrandizing zoos, their interactions, the it, it's beyond belief what goes on in this world. Suffice to say, um, how can I put this? Um, it's sort of deliverance meets born free. <laughs> and it's well Who's playing the banjo? It is so banjo. It is such banjo country behaviour. Do you know there are more tigers in America than there are in the wild, in the world? No. Yep, there Where are. Where are they? What, in people's backyards? Correct. People's backyards or these filling these private zoos. And they just keep breeding them for the illegal trade in tigers. Maybe that's one of the rationales for the amount of guns that they have. I mean, you know in that movie Hangover, there was that scene with the tiger and Mike Tyson. Yeah, yeah. yeah. One of the, this guy, Doc or whatever his name is, Beyond having tigers, he he's a sort of a bigamist, but he's he was into into orgies and, and picking up women. And his big thing was he had a partner, a female partner, and they and she was bisexual, and they they liked picking up women. So they went to Vegas, where they thought it was easier to meet young women, and they would use tigers and tiger cubs as the lure to get people to their hotel room. So they'd, be, they'd walk around with a tiger cub that they'd smuggle into the hotel in their suitcase and then walk around to pretty girls and say, you know, have a look what we've got. Do you want a photo with it? Come up to the room. We've got more tigers in the room. Would you go up to somebody's room if they said to you, come up with me and my partner because we've got more tigers in the room? Uh, I don't know. All I can think right now is if this is another podcast I'm doing, there would now be an inevitable gag about Mrs. Slocum from Are You Being yeah, Served? This is this all started, by the way, as a podcast. One of the people, a peripheral participant in this sideshow, 
he was actually, I think, the cameraman doing a documentary on it, sort of saw this bizarre world and put it down as a podcast. It's now a, a six-part, seven-part miniseries that's gone crazy, and they're now casting for, the, for a movie. They're making a movie of it. They've already cast... Oh, well. They've already cast Sheila McKin- Layla McKinnon from Saturday Night Live as the woman protagonist in this. But isn't Layla McKinnon a Channel Nine news reader? Um, then it's is it? I don't know. Sheila McKinnon yeah. or somebody. Maybe. Maybe oh, I've got her name. I think then I must have her name wrong. Oh well, maybe she's branching out. <laughs> no, no um, it's, it's not. So sorry about that, Layla. Well, but it's every. It's wild. It is. To give you a little, and the listeners a little snippet if you haven't watched it, Joe Exotic married, is homosexual, and his marriage vows, his marriage ceremony was a three-man marriage. So three of them, him and two other men, got married in, in the same service. Interestingly, neither of those men were homosexual, it turned out to be. But they married him. Yeah, and had sex with him. Later found out that he was providing them with methamphetamine and they wanted that to keep coming, so they didn't deny his advances. Okay. (laughs) You've got to watch it. Well, maybe one day we can pursue the theme that if if you are a man and you have sex with a man, are you not by definition homosexual? Oh, well, no. Let's not pursue that. But Um, I'll 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 say this, that you know, the title Tiger King might have encouraged maybe, and its popularity might have encouraged officials at the Richmond Football Club to pursue the line of maybe some joint venture. Well, don't wor- they don't need to worry about it because the Tiger King is currently incarcerated and seemingly so for the rest of his life. Okay, uh, very interesting um, life hacks this week. Uh, that's enough for that, though. I think, finally, it is time now that we step back in time and had a look at the uh, the interesting music, movies, TV and footy memories from a year in the distant past. Vinyl and video. Pressing rewind on our favourite music, movies and TV. Well, we are stepping back in time. We are stepping way back in time. And uh, finally, you always choose the harder to manage years. And uh, we have done, uh, this is the second earliest year we've done. You chose 1965 a few weeks back. And for some reason this week, you have chosen 1967. Uh, Firstly and quickly, why? Because we've got a footy element, and it's the year of my favourite ever grand final. I think one of the greatest of all games. So, yeah, I, I really I did it with, with a, I did it with a point. I, I really was thinking of that game and wanting to discuss that a bit. All right. No, well, look, there's some interesting uh, popular culture as well as uh, we'll talk about right now. Let's let's start with the music and uh, some pretty big acts and some pretty big albums uh, we had. And this certainly was the era where the big bands were putting out several releases. Uh, 65 was like this too, but I think in 67, the Rolling Stones had something like at least three, if not four albums. How do you even have time to do that? 
I agree. And for me, that made it sort of difficult to choose an album because they tend to divide their hits over those albums as well. Yeah, well, the Beatles had at least a couple, one of which I'm going to touch on. Um, we had uh, Jimi Hendrix, Are You Experienced? The Doors, self-titled. Uh, the Velvet Underground and Nico put out uh, their famous Banana album. Um, yeah, Rolling Stones, Between the Buttons and Flowers. And the one I've settled on, Finey, and um, look, I have said uh, perhaps controversially that I'm a bit ambivalent about the Beatles, but I did listen to a lot of them as a kid growing up and my elder siblings were big on them and so I heard everything. And when I reminded myself about the contents of this album, uh, I realised, you know what, there was a lot of stuff of theirs that I liked and a lot of it on this one record. And the album is Magical Mystery Tour which was uh, driven by a movie that they did of the same name, which was universally panned as being pretty awful. But the soundtrack to that movie was pretty good. So cop this for a lineup. And I've got to say, most of my favourite Beatles songs are among these. We had uh, the title track, Magical Mystery Tour, The Fool on the Hill, Flying, which was an instrumental, Blue Jay Way, your Mother Should Know, I Am The Walrus, which is a great song, Hello, Goodbye, another good song, Strawberry Fields Forever, close to my favourite Beatles track, Penny Wayne, Baby You're a Rich Man, and All You Need Is Love. Now, very psychedelic in feel. Needless to say, they're doing an absolute truckload of drugs and substances uh, at this stage. They were doing their meditation with that Swami in India. I can't remember his name. Um, and apparently George actually cracked it with Paul because he wanted to go on with the meditation stuff and Paul said, no, we need to get in there and record. But this was the result. And, uh, yeah, look, I think my favourite Beatles tracks are probably Strawberry Fields Forever and I'm the Walrus uh, and Magical Mystery Tour, and they're all on this one album. So uh, that's my album of the year, and uh, I didn't think I'd ever have a Beatles album as my album of the year, but there you go. Who was that? Like the who was that guru? It wasn't Ravi Shankar, was it? No, I think he was, was a musician. Yeah, it wasn't. Um, yeah, Ravi Shastri. No, it wasn't Ravi Shastri. He was uh, probably about how old would Ravi Shastri? He took he took the long handle to he took the long handle to Shane Warne in Warney's first test. I remember that. Yeah, he made uh, 150, I think. Yeah, I was thinking 156. Oh, no, such such and made 200 yeah, in yeah. Warney's yeah. first test. All right, what's your uh, musical component? Okay, almost because of the dilution of hits, except for that album's magnificent, by the way. That is a great Beatles album. Uh, I was looking at albums, and I was hoping maybe The Doors by The Doors had enough hits on it, but... I didn't know a lot of the songs on it. So I ended up going for a song. And the song was, I, I look, it's a great, first of all, I think it's a great song. It's by Frankie Valli uh, called Can't Take My Eyes Off You. And oh, yeah. it, I love it because it, it has a great shift in it. It uh, starts off as sort of more of a, a crooning love song, you know, the slow part of it. But then it has that uplift and that, change of tempo now I love that version 
because I think he's a beautiful singer. And apparently the song was given to the Four Seasons. Frankie Valley, who was lead singer, sung it. And the songwriter said, Frankie, you do it on your own. So he went out, branched on his own and did that song. There's been a lot of other performers take it on. Um, Andy Williams in the same year released it and it did quite well. That song went to number two on the US charts with Frankie Valley. The Andy Williams version made the charts in the UK in 68. I think the sort of, and it appears in a lot of movies and a lot of popular culture, to me the best re replaying or retelling of the story that is that song comes in the early scenes of The Deer Hunter where they have the um, Polish marriage before the guys all go on the deer hunt and ultimately go away to Vietnam. They've all been drinking some home truths told, but sort of the bridal waltz stroke heavy heavy drinkers, you know, start singing out aloud song was Can't Take My Eyes Off You uh, by Frankie Valli, and it was a great version of it. So I think it's a song most people know, and a lot of people really love, and I, I love it. Yeah, you certainly have broader tastes than I do. I have to say, uh, I don't. Yeah, I don't dislike that song. I'm certainly familiar with it. You know, I was also just thinking you were thinking of Billy Hunter, Valley. Were, you were thinking of Billy Valley <laughs> of uh, Collingwood and Essendon fame. Yeah, stout, um, stout little footballer, wasn't he? He was. He was. Didn't hardly played from memory. In fact, he, he wore number two. One, yeah, played one senior game for Essendon, I think, yeah. and. Not a lot more for the pies. You know, um, you know, there were the three Valley brothers. Frankie Valley of what? Oh yeah, Bill no, Valley. No, Frank. And oh, happy. No, Mooney. <laughs> yeah. You went for happy. I did say. I did say. <laughs> Why are you from Hong Kong? Why did you go Happy Valley before Mooney Valley? Because I was thinking about the other Hong Kong racetrack, Happy Ending. No, that's you know the other Hong Kong racetrack. It's got or the best it? best name for a, a racetrack in the world because if a horse wins by a long way, what do you say? It's shat in. Uh, uh, yeah, okay. You know that term, it's shat in? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I always All pronounce right. it shat in, not shat in. Yeah, very good. All right, uh, there's music. Now, movies. This was, I think it's fair to say, the late 60s. Certainly, early to mid seventies was a golden period for cinema. Um, gee, there's some well-known and popular movies come out around this time. Great year for uh, movies. Yeah, well, I know you've got one you love. Um, here's some of the uh, candidates that I didn't select: uh, Cool Hand Luke. Can I have a go? Dirty Can I have a go at Cool Hand Luke? Uh, Can I have a go at this? Or completely off the cuff. What we got here is failure to communicate. Some men you just can't reach, which is what you had here last week, which is the way he wants it. Well, he gets it. I don't like this any more than you men. I can't even remember who that is. Who is it? That's the, you know, the, the prison warden with his reflecting sunglasses. It's also, oh, yeah, it's okay. also the way that um, Guns N' Roses' November Rain starts. God, I hate that song. Um, all right, so we've got uh, Dirty Dozen. Guess who's coming to dinner with Sydney Portia? Just on, Sid- just on Sydney Portia. I know I'm yeah, butting in. Eh? Well, well, 
Yeah, but just on Sydney Portier, you were saying how amazing it was that bands like Rolling Stones and Beatles could release three albums in a year. What are yeah. the three? What are the three most iconic or, or famous Sydney Portier movies? Oh God! Well, well guess who's coming to dinner? Love. Yeah, to uh, serve with to love. Serve. Guess who's coming Which to dinner? About to mention. Yeah. yeah. What's the other one? In the heat of the night. Oh yeah. Okay. Yep. All, all right, well, I was about to mention. Yeah, all of on. them released in 1967. Yeah, he was a busy man. Uh, to Sir with Love, as you just mentioned, Far From the Madding Crowd, uh, Bedazzled, which I always liked, uh, Peter Cook and Dudley Moore. Oh, but yeah. I have gone for, I'd argue, probably the most famous of them all in this list, and it is The Graduate, directed by Mike Nichols, starring Dustin Hoffman, Catherine Ross and Bancroft. Uh, they are very much the stars of the show and it's about a uh, disaffected young college graduate who uh, is a bit directionless after finishing his schooling and um, basically is not corrupted, but uh, his innocence shattered by the seductress Anne Bancroft, who is the, um, what's the word I'm looking for, the legendary Mrs Robinson. Of course, almost as famous as the actual movie is the soundtrack provided by Simon and Garfunkel, Mrs. Robinson, very famous song, and uh, The Sounds of Silence, um, a terrific song. I, I did like Simon and Garfunkel, but this is uh, – I like this movie because it's even though it's 1967, it's got a real jadedness about it. I think it sort of captures the – the mood very effectively and um, of course Dustin Hoffman plays Benjamin Braddock he's just graduated uh, doesn't know where he's, he's going in life um, he meets at a, uh, a party the wife of his father's law partner who is Mrs Robinson who persuades him to drive her home after a uh, imbibing a few and uh, promptly seduces him and they then begin a torrid affair. Uh, of course, matters are complicated when Benjamin Braddock falls in love with uh, Mrs. Robinson's daughter, Elaine, played by Catherine Ross. And uh, then it gets very messy when Mrs. Robinson's husband finds out and Mrs. Robinson turns on Benjamin Braddock, who falls in love with Elaine. And uh, it gets very messy. And of course, a memorable climax to the movie uh, where uh, Elaine is being married off to a uh, college classmate of hers who she doesn't really want to marry and Benjamin Braddock appears hammering on the doors of the church yelling, Elaine! Um, a bit like uh, Stella! And what's the other memorable one? Sylvester Stallone in Rocky. Who was his, who was his partner in Rocky? Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, I can't remember the name. But anyway, the man sort of death. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> whoever it was. Whoever it was. And of course, I'm not, well, I am spoiling this, but seriously, it's a graduate. Everyone's seen it. I do love the last scene where he um, storms into the church, uh, beats off the, uh, the hordes trying to prevent him with a giant cross, uh, locks them all in the church as Elaine runs out with him by. Um, planting the cross through the door handles on the doors and then they jump on a bus 
uh, her and her wedding gear, obviously. But uh, look, it's a great movie. And that final scene, actually, they're sitting on the bus to the sound of silence uh, from Simon and Garfunkel. Mrs. Robinson, very, very well-known song, covered by a lot of people. I think the Lemonheads covered that. It's a great movie. And um, do you like that movie, Finding? Great movie. Great, great movie. Great story, great acting. It's funny how... Did I mention... It's funny how... Sorry, one little anecdote with this. um, Directed by Mike Nichols. Um, Anyway, they... Uh, he was negotiating with Simon and Garfunkel about how many songs. I think they agreed on four and, and then, you know, the, Paul Simon hit some difficulty writing, getting them written, I think. And um, Mike Nichols was getting desperate and he, like, he buttonholed Paul Simon and said, I need a song, I need a song. And he started telling him about this one he was writing um, and he said, oh, look, it's about, looking back in time and, you know, talks about Joe DiMaggio and Eleanor Roosevelt. So he he thought it was um, Mrs. Roosevelt and uh, Mike Nichols said to him, well, it's Mrs. Robinson now and took the song and off they went and thus became one of the most famous songs in history. But originally he was sort of thinking about Eleanor Roosevelt, not uh, Mrs. Robinson. That's good. That's a good side a side story. Excellent. Uh, that movie ends, as you say, with them on the bus to the sounds of silence, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But not as, not as fun. Yeah. And I reckon there's a another movie that ends on a bus with Dustin Hoffman and a song that's even more famous. I've got it. Uh, Midnight Cowboy. Yep. And, um, oh, don't tell me. Uh, is it? Is it Everyone's Talking At Me? Everybody's um, Talking At Me by Nilsson. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I love Midnight Cowboy. That's a fantastic movie. Yeah, great movie with John Voight. Very poignant. Yeah. All right, what's yours? Mine actually um, dovetails, hands in gloves very nicely with The Graduate because there's a couple of um, stories that connect the two movies, even though they are very different movies. My movie is Mel Brooks' first directorial or his directorial debut, a movie that he wrote in bits and pieces over four years and finally got funding for called The Producers. Uh, And he he actually put together two ideas that he had. One was writing a crazy satirical play called Springtime for Hitler. He sort of wrote that, actually wrote out that play in full in notes. And another one was an idea he had where based on an actual producer that he knew from Broadway who used to fund his off-Broadway productions by sleeping with wealthy women. And he sort of got the seed of an idea of how it would be funny that if you could actually intentionally make a, a play fail, it would be a financial windfall if you got it oversubscribed. In other words, you get funding for anything to 100%, correct? And you strike a deal with the financial backer to share profits if there are profits. Well, if you knew that there's not going to be profits, why not sell it for 200%, 500%? Or in the case of the producers and their guaranteed flop in their minds, 2,500% of their play, Springtime for Hitler, was sold. It was an idea concocted in the movie by... The two main actors, Gene Wilder playing Leo Bloom, the accountant, nervous, fidgety man that he was, 
and Zero Mostel playing Max Bielostok, the producer. Bielostok, by the way, is a Polish town, a small Polish town that had a very strong pre-war. It was a Jewish town in Poland prior to Second World War, and a lot of Polish Jews are Bielostokers. Anyhow, it's it's a great movie. Now, the connection with your favourite movie and the brilliant The Graduate is that the role of director for the play was originally cast to Dustin Hoffman, who was agreed to play it. Really? Okay. Now, the whole movie was shot in a very short period of time. Filming started on May the 22nd, 1967, and it was in cinemas by November. But as Dustin Hoffman was about to take his part in the movie, he asked to be excused for the opportunity to audition for a movie called The Graduate. Mel Brooks, who was then going out with, but yet to marry his still wife, Anne Bancroft, checked in with Anne, who said, yeah, he won't get the role. She didn't think he'd get it. Really? It didn't fit the physical... um, He didn't fit the physical image that the producer had portrayed. You know, Dustin Hoffman's a great actor, but he wasn't... He's not a stud. And it was supposed to be a young sort of... um, a better looking the the producer had sold to Anne Bancroft the idea of the graduate the the student being as as seduced by Mrs Robinson a more aesthetically pleasing pleasing into, yeah anyhow but he auditioned so well he got it so Anne Bancroft said he wouldn't get it so Mel Brooks excused him from filming and told everybody he'll be back tomorrow we never came oh, back. Wow. He never, yeah, came, he never came back. So it went to another actor. I can't remember who it was. Um, the casting was interesting. You know, there's the um, Dick Sean who plays LSD, the actor, the main actor in uh, Springtime for Hitler. Basically, and of course, this movie was not anywhere near a successful hit at the box office. In fact, a lot of people didn't want to play it. A lot of movie houses found it offensive because of its the Nazi connotation. Mel Brooks had to explain that, and explain this over and over, that you don't get in discussions with dictators or people that you hate. You parody them and mock them. You know, it, there's no dialogue to be had. And I think that's now understood. Now, interestingly, the role of Leo Bloom, the accountant, played brilliantly by Gene Wilder, was originally going to be played by Peter Sellers. And Peter Sellers read the script and agreed to play it, but his United States um, manager, his United States uh, connection, said, if you play this, you'll ruin your career in the US. You know, a lot of Jewish influence in Hollywood, they're going to hate this. Peter Sellers said, hang on, Mel Brooks is Jewish, what are you talking about? Anyhow, he convinced him, his agent convinced him not to play the role. It opened and it flopped. And it was, t- it was cut from all cinemas. Except Peter Sellers got a copy of it because he wanted to see it. And he took out an advertisement in Variety, you know, the Variety newspaper? Yeah, yeah. Praising this brilliant piece of work by Mel Brooks. That's how funny he thought it was. And gave it the kickstart it needed to at least be a bit of a cult favourite. It never made a great deal of money as a movie, but we know that in recent times, in 2005, it became a stage play in New York. 
in Broadway. One of the most successful ever, still running, originally with, um, who's the guy who played Ferris Bueller? Uh uh, Matthew Broderick. Yeah, he was the original. No? Yep, Matthew I Broderick. Get Matthew Broderick. Yeah, okay. He was yep. the original Leo Bloom. I can't remember who played Zero Mostel's role. Max Bialystok, famously, one season of Curb Your Enthusiasm had Larry David starring in the producers. But it's been a huge hit on Broadway, so it's been a late cash cow. But it's a very funny movie. He's a uh, very good review. He does well, Larry David. There's a. Have you seen the one where he's in the Scorsese movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Up, <laughs> up, 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 up on the building, wasn't it? Wasn't it on a yeah on a rooftop? I've just finished watching uh, the most recent season. By the way, very, very. Yeah, I haven't seen it. Still good. Yeah, no, it's great, and uh, it's one of the best ones actually. And there's a great interview. I actually saw a great interview David. I read just last night yep. between um, Maureen Dowd, a great. Journo in the US does an interview with him, like through, uh, Skype interview, and they took pictures of him through his front door. It's a really good interview if you get a chance to have a look. Well, he's been speaking about COVID nineteen. I've, I've seen yeah, that. I've yeah, seen no, that. He, uh, oh, the video. Yeah, he talks about he talks about doing that video for the health well, department. Yeah, he says. You know, right. He says stay at home distance, and he said this is everybody's dream. You can watch TV. Yeah, yeah. You can watch TV, and nobody's going to tell you off for spending the entire day on the couch watching TV. Yeah, well, this piece interviews Cheryl Hines, his on-screen wife, yep. and uh, she said, "Oh, he'd be absolutely loving this. He's been practicing social distancing for years." <laughs> um, all right, TV. Pretty slim pickings on the TV front, finally. I've got to say, baby. And, uh, some of the candidates, this will give you an idea how slim the pickings were, were uh, Rowan and Martin's Laughing, uh, which was pretty popular and, and screened out here as well. This is the Rowan Carol and Finey's show. Our show's Rowan and Finey's Laughing. Y- yeah. Yes. Uh, Carol Burnett's show, Ironside, Mannix. Uh, that was about it, really. Was, was, uh, Mannix about, this- was Mannix about the Coburg midfielder? No, unfortunately, it wasn't about the uh, lead singer of Uncanny X-Men either because I get enough <laughs> of him every Tuesday. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I went with the show that I did used to watch. God, I must have been desperate. Uh, the Flying Nun with Sally Field. And, of course, Sally, uh, who just appeared in Gidget when this opportunity came up. Gidget got canned and I think the producers wanted to keep her, you know, sort of to the forefront. So they persuaded her to audition for this. So I'm told she never really enjoyed this show, but it went for 82 episodes across three years, 1967 to 70. And Sally Field plays a nun who um, she turns up, she's a, I can't remember her real name actually, but she turns up at a convent in San Juan, Puerto Rico. Sister Batrill. Yeah, but that's her, her, that's not her actual name. Oh, okay. Uh, it's, Starts with M. Anyway, she's been picked up at a protest or something. She's a bit sort of counterculture. Anyway, she joins the convent as Sister Batrill. And uh, the other characters are Madeline Sherwood plays the Reverend Mother Placido, the stern-faced boss, but with a heart of gold. Uh, What was her name? Placebo? Is she not a real nun? No, Placido. (laughs) as As in Domingo. Uh, Marge Redman plays uh, 
Sister Vitrill's good friend, Sister Jacqueline. Shelley Morrison plays uh, Sister Sito, I think, who um, the local Puerto Rican nun. And Alejandro Ray plays Carlos Ramirez. What a great character name, who is the playboy and casino owner, but also with a heart of gold, who is an orphan and was raised by the nuns and is constantly uh, underwriting their schemes or Sister Betrill's schemes and bailing her out of trouble. Was was he the father um, of Farron? Yes, yes, he was, Finey. He was definitely the father of Farron and uh, actually came over here and, and uh, watched a lot of his career with the Western Bulldogs and St Kilda. And North Melbourne. Um, and, uh, of course, the uh, the thing about Sister Petrilli, she can fly because of her, um, what do they call the habit, the big winged thing that they wear on their heads. She had too much starch in her wimple. Yeah, she's constantly, wimple, that's it. Yeah, she's constantly explaining that because of her light body weight and the uh, high winds where they are in the convent, she has the ability to fly. Um, and uh, that's about uh, the one-trick pony that it is, but somehow it lasted for 82 episodes. Very heartwarming. It got increasingly saccharine, is my memory of it, uh, and just about run its course by the time it finished. But there you go, The Flying Nun out of 1967. Your choice. Isn't it funny now how comedies are all based, based on real life? You know, the office yeah. and it, everything has to be a humorous look at the real world. In the 1960s, I think they departed from the real world. My favourite <laughs> my favorite Martian, yeah. Bewitched, well, yeah, well, I Dream of Genius. It was always hallucinogenics. Um, all right, your choice. I, You really <laughs> hit the nail on the head when you said it was slim pickings. Okay, this program started in Australia in 1967. I don't... Never saw the 67 version of it, obviously. It was called Personality Squares. But I think most of us have seen some version of it thereafter. Basically, a, and I think it was an actual, now they might do it with, if they did it now, it would be done with video trickery. But back then, they actually built a set where it was a, a giant tic-tac-toe board and filled with quasi-celebrities. So... Basically, the funniest person or the person that would you'd want to be on TV the most, you'd put in the centre square. <laughs> and I remember Celebrity Squares, a version of it maybe on another channel. It started on Channel O, I think it's Personality Squares. But Celebrity Squares, they used to stick poor old um, Carol Ray in the top corner. I, Chelsea, Remember Chelsea Brown? Yeah. She was like left of centre, so it didn't get a lot of traffic. Patty Newton. Well, she was like the Chelsea Brown was like the precursor to Marsha Hines. Yeah, that's right. Chelsea Brown, you know. Oh, we've got an African American. Let's call her Chelsea Brown. I wonder what her real name was. Um, <laughs> uh, but they'd stick like Noel Ferrier or Dave Gray in the middle because they were funny. Um, or if. Bert Newton ever deigned to be on the program. They put him straight up the guts. You know, he was straight in the Neville Fields set. You know, straight <laughs> in the centre, and they'd move poor old Dave Gray up to a corner. Uh, Noel, was Ugly Dave Gray ever actually funny? Uh, he used to tell those sort of one-line gags, if you like yeah. that sort of stuff. Not necessarily 
everybody's cup of tea. Uh, Noel Ferrier was in it. He used to sit down the bottom because he was probably too heavy to be supported any higher. And it was this strange game of, of noughts and crosses. Now, you know why it was strange? Why? Well, you know the World Noughts and Crosses Championship. The 1973 final is still being played. <laughs> what? Of noughts and crosses. What are you talking about? Yeah, how come? Well, if you're over eight and you play noughts and crosses, doesn't every game end in a draw? Yeah. <laughs> you have yeah. to be fairly stupid to lose at noughts and crosses. I mean, here you had to get correct answers or, I don't know, there was something with the celebrity. and Basically, it was a platform for celebra- for minor Australian celebrities, you know, B and C graders, to be trotted out by the network in, in, in a much less funny form than, say, Blankety Blanks. So not a great program, but I guess most of us remember it. All right, uh, gee, this segment's been going on a while. Um, let's uh, finish off with a favourite footy memory. I know you're keen to get to yours, so I'll be quick. Uh, we're talking about 1967, of course, and um, you've got the big ticket item. But one thing I did note about 1967 was the amount of football talent that debuted in that season. It was a remarkable year for the arrival on centre stage of some of the best talent the game has seen. To wit, I read you the following list of names. These players all made their senior debuts in 67. Francis Burke, Royce Hart, Peter Hudson, Alex Jezelenko, Robert Walls, Kevin Sheedy, Don Scott, Ian Nankervis, John Murphy and Gary Hardiman. How's that for a list of talent? Brilliant, isn't it? Wow. Didn't Richmond get a good return straight up from Royce Hart? Well, They certainly did. And uh, Burke and um, Sheedy had only just... Oh, Sheedy as well. Hart, Burke, Sheedy. Yeah, not bad. And Jezelinko Walls for the Blues. All right. um, Give us your spiel. I love the 67 grand final. It really... If anybody gets a chance, if any of you out there... You've got plenty of spare time looking for footy. Get a copy of the full game. You'll be so richly rewarded. And I want to break it down into my 3-2-1 of three of the greatest highlights in the history of the game. I know what, one of, I know what two of them are, I reckon. One Can of I guess? Or do I... Yeah, yeah, go for it. Go for it. Well, I reckon... Now, if people who haven't seen this, Richmond Geelong, it is remarkable, this game. It's almost out of time, isn't it? Because it's so fast and Skillful. And... There are a lot of munged, munged drop kicks. It's not all perfect, but I'll tell you what, some of it is unbelievable. So I've got a 3-2-1. Are you sure you want me to get... Yeah, sure go, you want me to guess? Yeah, go, go for it. Go See how you go. All right, okay. Well, one of them clearly has to be Royce Hart's mark over... Peter Walker, was it? Yeah, that gets one vote for me. Yep. Uh, uh, Second one I always think of is Billy Barrett's blind turn on the boundary line late in the last quarter. It is unbelievable. He pivots. He uses, he has the ball tucked under his left arm, I think, and then does a pivot turn, planting the palm of his right hand on the ground. Now, he's not yeah. a chimpanzee, he's a human being. He caps it off with a pinpoint pass into the centre of the ground. I can't remember who takes it, but it's, you know, Richmond off to the races. 
Yeah, and the Geelong player, I'm not sure who the Geelong player was, but the Geelong player is absolutely flying at him. You know, yep. like if he had it collected him, he would have got him in the it, next it, week. It's superb by Billy Barrett. Happened it's in the a, last yeah, quarter. And that's two it's votes. It's a beautiful, beautiful piece of footy. Um, well, the other memorable, oh, yeah, the third one for me would be toss-up between Fred Swift's mark on the goal line right on the siren or... There's a handball from Polly Farmer, the, which the goes... The giant about, sweeping 30-metre handball. Yeah. Okay, that, yeah, that... was that it? That's my apology for didn't get a vote. Okay, what's your other one? So three votes. Happens in the first quarter. Never talked about. And to me, it's the best single piece of football I've ever seen. I think it's Fred Swift does the kick-ins for Collingwood, does he? And remember... Richmond. Uh, for Richmond. And remember, where I'm leaving out that... Incredible goal from the near the boundary in the last quarter by, um, oh John Ronaldson by big big John Ronaldson, father of the yeah, basketballer he kicks one from either pocket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So two amazing goals there. In the first quarter, Fred Swift kicks the ball out and he makes good contact. The big drop kick, and he kicks it to what must be seventy meters out, sixty-five, seventy meters out. Three or four players go for the ball. Polly Farmer rises and takes the ball with one hand. A beautiful, just an incredible one-handed mark. He sort of lands and doesn't break stride, having marked the ball with one hand, then places it carefully, holding the ball in both hands, and kicks a 45-metre stab pass that hits a meandering Doug Wade on left titty, even you know, even though Wade was barely leading, it just slams him and Wade takes the chest mark. It's the single best piece of football I've ever seen. <laughs> it is an amazing game for its time. And I think if you ever sort of have difficulty believing that football was a very, very skillful and easy to watch game then and you're going about ah, oh, you know, the modern game's much better. Check this game out because, you know, I'm with you. It's an absolute ripper. Young, I think young Kevin the, Bartlett was brilliant. Yeah, I think the – is a full game on YouTube? I think it might no, be. No, it's not. I, I keep looking oh, for it because I want to keep – I want to cut that – I don't want to post on Twitter that brilliant piece of play, but I can't get yeah. that first quarter. Well, there's a, a message to uh, Jezza, uh, 1967 on YouTube, the keeper of all – Football archival footage. Uh, there's a task for you, mate, because that's about the only thing you haven't got, I think. All right, good call. Um, that is vinyl and video for this week. How about we do some ranting, Finey? Good idea. On Footyology, the rant off. All right, I've been cooped up for. Uh, couple of weeks now, Finey. I'm like a, a tightly coiled spring and uh, I'm ready to unleash in a withering rant. Are you ready to count me in? Ready as I've ever been because a ready to spring Rowan could be entertaining. Three, two, one, rant away. I'm pissed off with COVID-19, Finey. Aren't we all? It's a prick of a thing, taking our frail and elderly sending the economy into a spiral and, of course, delaying an AFL season. Sure, there's been the odd upside to all of this isolation, plenty of classic old games on the TV, 
with old-fashioned commentators who talked about the actual game going on and not incessantly about themselves. There's been deserted roads when you've had no choice but to brave the outside world in order to buy food or pharmaceuticals. There's been plenty of time to catch up on all that stuff on Netflix you've been too busy to watch. And now all those American celebrities have actually read the mood and stopped churning out nauseating group sing-alongs of Imagine or like Madonna filming themselves mumbling weird dialogue while reclining in a bath of milk and rose petals, there's been some pretty funny stuff on social media. But you'll notice I haven't also said it's allowed us to get closer to our families. And that's because as much as I love them with all my heart and soul, after a couple of weeks of being cooped up with them all, frankly, I'd rather be doing time in cell block H alongside Mr Big who's in with the wardens. I absolutely agree with this government's policy on social distancing, Finey, and I've realised it's because after a few years working almost exclusively from home, I've come to appreciate my space. But it's pretty hard to find enough of it in our joint with three other people there 24 hours of every day. I'm not sure the one-and-a-half metre rule's working, Finey. I was wondering if we could make it one-and-a-half postcodes instead. Abby's working from home and seems to be on a Zoom meeting every half hour. I can't even walk into the lounge room in my jocks anymore without the executive staff of an entire corporation checking out my package. And I don't mean wages. Sam reckons he's busy doing uni assignments, but all I can see is an imminent PhD in Call of Duty. And David just keeps blaring gangster rap out of his bedroom speakers. I wasn't too worried till he started hanging all these huge gold chains from his neck and when I finally had to ring an interpreter to work out what he was actually saying. I need to get on to that stewardess in the movie Flying High, you know, the one who speaks jive. Otherwise, I'm not going to be able to conduct another conversation with my own son. Poor bugger's got his 18th birthday on Wednesday, and instead of getting out and celebrating the dawning of adulthood, he's probably going to get stuck with us playing pick-up sticks or connect four. I keep telling him, look, mate, you can't get virtually pissed with your mates. And if you do get stuck into it here on your own, the vomit you'll be cleaning up will be very real instead. As for my own work, well, I've been trying to do this video stuff on my top 20 albums with the cat constantly meowing at the door. I think she's pissed off I haven't mentioned UK Squeeze's biggest hit. And the only way I can get rid of her is to play Dogs Are Talking by the Angels. There's no privacy and certainly no quiet with people yelling out stuff across four rooms every couple of minutes. You know, I thought I really nailed my review of Cold Chisel's Circus Animals album until a notification started coming in on Twitter after I'd posted it and everyone kept asking why they couldn't find the song Unstack the Dishwasher, Were You? on their own copies of the record. It's all your fault, COVID-19. I still think we can beat you. We have brilliant scientists, dedicated healthcare workers and fortunately the resources we need to cope with what's going on. It's the legal system I'm worried about because if my experience is any guide, I suspect when it's all over, we're going to get a stampede in the direction of the family court. That was really good. I just enjoyed that. And and earlier on in the podcast, I said how I valued this time with my family. But now that I think about it, all of those things ring true. Throw in the expectation of three meals a day that has gone from my kids turning, I've got four of them at home, just turning up at various hours that could be sort of loosely described breakfast time it's like we're at a hotel with a you know with the, the that downstairs breakfast buffet 
Like I've yeah. got one kid that turns up at 6 a.m., well, earlier, 5.30, because he has to start work at 6. And then I've got the elder daughter coming down bleary-eyed at 10 o'clock. Is breakfast still on? <laughs> so, so breakfast runs four and a half hours. And this is no joke. There's lunch made for them, dinner. I'm, you know, I love cooking and I'm coming up with different ideas every day. And I'm now getting requests for room service. <laughs> Can we have it in the room? Can you bring it up here? We're, we're just about out of food. So I have vowed to do the supermarket run today. But I'm feeling like, was it admirable? Admirable. Admiral Scott, who went to the South Pole and famous. I feel like I'm going to have to sort of, you know, suit up and then as I leave the front door, say, gentlemen, I'm going to the supermarket. I may be gone for some time. <laughs> um, You'll be like Randy Marsh on South Park on the global warming episode. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yes. All right. Uh, uh, looking forward to yours. Are you ready? I am ready. And here we go. All right. Three, two, one, rant. Desperate days indeed for football fans and Fox footy or AFL on Fox has not taken note of this and has acted immediately. They can't play current games. There are none. We could have round one played over and over and over again, but believe me, there's a few fans, including me, who wouldn't be watching that. No, they've dug into the archives. In fact, they've let the fans, I think, choose the 50 greatest games of all time. But one of their innovations with both AFL and NRL is to get famous old games rebooted. In other words, with their current commentators doing the commentating. And I think that concept has got hairs on it. I mean... Not that Huddo and Dwayne and the team can't call games of football, but I think their egos are going to get in the way, Rowan. In fact, I'm sure that they will. Can you imagine the boys calling the 66 grand final as Barry Breen kicks that point and Dwayne Russell goes, I think that could be an important point, Huddo. Do you, mate? Do you think it's going to be important? How about the famous line from that grand final commentary? I tipped this. They could do that for just about anything. Just before half-time in Essendon's famous win over Hawthorne, or just before three-quarter time, I think Leon Baker's about to explode. I tipped this. Of course you tipped it. You bloody well knew it. They could even predict the great mark by Jezelenko. Mackay picks the ball up on the half-back flank. He kicks a long. Where's Jezza? Here he is. Jezelinko, your beauty, could be foretold, predicted. Maybe Brent Staker could be warned before Barry Hall turns around and clocks him into tomorrow. The the commentators could be brilliant. Huddo's famous, I see it by I don't believe it, could be replaced by Nick Davis. I saw it and I still don't believe it. Basically, (laughs) they're going to have to resist the temptation not to imbue their own knowledge on past games, I can just see it now. Malcolm Blight takes a mark 75 metres out. The siren goes. Carlton lead. He goes back to kick the impossible goal. And as he's pulling his socks up, Dwayne Russell says, you know what? He's got the journey in him. I'd be surprised if this doesn't go through half post height. Yep. Leave the old games to the old commentators. At least they didn't bloody know what was going to happen. <laughs> It's, it's a well done. No, it's a really, 
Really good point. It, it, the concept is fundamentally flawed, isn't it? They're just going to have to resist the temptation. And you know what? They are professional enough to do it. In fact, I guarantee you, I, I, I've got great faith in Hutto, and I reckon if they did the 70 grand final, they'd commentate it all fresh, but I bet you Hutto would still say, Jezelinko, you beauty, as an homage <laughs> to Mike Williamson. Some things, oh, you'd have to. Some greats you don't, you, you, you can't, you know, tamper with. I th- well, do you, you reckon, know, do you know, reckon Quarters will have his moment in history preserved? Leo Barry, you star. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But, but I wonder if um, if someone else calls that when they do that game, if Quarters will sue him for breach of copyright or something. Yeah, that's... Uh, uh, it has to go down as a tribute. But wouldn't it be great, like, you know, when Matera gets the ball for that famous run on the wing and the goal? Yeah. As soon as he gets it, tuck the ball under your arm, mate. Yeah. Go for a run. Yeah. Kick the goal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what about Luke Sh- Luke Shuey two years ago? Oh, um, I've, I've, just, I've just got the feeling he's going to kick this. No, no, um, Sheed. Oh, sorry, Sheed. Yeah, why did I say Luke Shuey? Oh, the, the uh, SH. Why, but wouldn't that be great? Yeah. Oh, it's a very hard yeah. kick. No, actually, for him, it's quite easy. I've seen him do it before or previously in, <laughs> yeah. in the future. I don't know, but I've seen it. What about uh, what about when Jack Darling drops the mark in the goal square? Jack Darling to uh, wrap it up, or will he? <laughs> they could do other games that maybe not as famous, like that game with John Burke at the Lakeside Oval. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, whatever you do, son. What? Oh, he's lost it here. Whatever you do, son, don't trump the fence and hit a fan. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No, very good. I like that. Um that uh, just about wraps it up for this week, Finey. Let's give our very generous sponsors a final plug. I know that I, I can see the future on this one. I can see you, our great podcast listener and devoted fan of Andrew's Hamburgers, uh, breaking rank, not breaking ranks, but in a sensible way, leaving home, uh, not observing, of course, absolutely observing social distancing, getting in the car to 144 Bridport Street in Albert Park, quite legal, to go there to get a magnificent Andrews hamburger. If you are going to get some takeaway during these tough times, why not get the best? Honestly, treat yourself to an Andrews hamburger. I think it's a great idea. It will, it'll break the monotony and put a huge smile on your family's dials because they're such great burgers. And when it's all said and done, we're going to be living in a different world. So why don't you live in a different house? Go to West Point Properties and Nick Spartels. Uh, who knows where the cards will, you know, where the, where, where the um, what's it called? Where the coin will land, where something will land when this is all said and done. But it might just be in your favour property-wise. Take advantage of it with a West Point property build. Oh, seamlessly, seamlessly oh, yeah. done. What, what, where, uh, what's his expression? Where the something fall? Where the is it cards or whether I don't know what it is. Okay, that wasn't so seamlessly done. Do you know what but this expression? has been? Yeah, no. Okay. This has been, however, a pretty seamless podcast. Even with you operating the controls, I'm confident it's all been recorded. And if you're hearing this, of course it has. So thanks to your company. Um, stay safe, everyone. Look after those you love. And uh, we will beat this thing. We might all go stir-crazy by the time we do, but we will beat it together. 
as one. Hey, just on, uh, just on that. Final words from you, yes. A final interruption. You know when they do those talkbacks and they get desperate and they go famous number 19s and they come up. Who was it? Jason Dunstall? Yeah. Alan Davis? Who Who's some great number 19s? Uh, Jason Dunstall and Alan Davis. Um, no, there's, I can't think of that many off the top of my head. Why? Because somebody will ring up and say COVID. Oh, very good. Yeah, no, very good. Yeah, I want to have that on the back of my duffel coat. COVID, <laughs> um, <laughs> Can you still buy duffel coats? All right, we're going to wrap it up. Thanks for your company. Um, and, uh, yeah, stay safe. We will see you next week.